Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So the wokeness hits Indianapolis in a hard way, and the wokeness didn't come from the Indianapolis Public Library. It came from the people who decided that the trustees of the Indianapolis Public Library are nothing but a bunch of bigots. Because that's exactly what they said, even if they didn't use those words. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. This story could have come from anywhere across the country. You know, there's this story in Pennsylvania where you have somebody running for school board president, another person on the school board uh, there in, in the city of Pennsylvania said, you know, I would vote for you, but the problem is you're a cis white male. He's a straight white man, and therefore she can't vote for him because that's not right. That is a bigot. That's a bigot. That is exactly what it is. Oh, I would vote for them, but you know, they have that skin color. and well, we, we simply can't have that now, can we? bigot the story is is that the indianapolis public library was looking for a new ceo one of the people in the running was the interim ceo nichelle hayes but the library stated they were offering the job to gabriel morley dr gabriel morley out of new orleans now Dr. Morley doesn't come without a little bit of controversy because he was running the library system in New Orleans, but he had to leave the job. He resigned because he was still living in his home in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, instead of taking up residence in New Orleans, which was a requirement under the jo- uh, under the city ordinances for the job. So it's not that he did his job poorly. It's that he wasn't living there. He got offered the job in Indianapolis instead of Nichelle Hayes. People went crazy. How dare you? This isn't right. You, you should be, of course, offering it up just uh, to this woman. Now, Dr. Gabriel Morley is a white man, and Nichelle Hayes is a black woman. Is the community, which sometimes you refer to as the stakeholders, which is a, the biggest bunch of, of crap ever, the stakeholders... That's, that's somehow this new wordplay, this engagement of an idea that somehow people outside of the business have a say. If we have a board of trustees for the library, we're relying on them to do this work. And they reached out to a lot of people. You hear them talk about it. They engaged a lot of different voices to come up with this. They had a 15-person search committee, including members from inside the library and from the community, library leadership, library staff, patrons, and other inputs. And they're clear that Dr. Morley earned this offer on his own merit through his qualifications and decades of experience. But the stakeholders like, you have to pick Michelle Hayes. And basically, as it plays in, in my take, this is my view of it solely, it seems that Dr. Morley was told, you're not going to be very welcome here if, if you show up. And you're like, what do you mean? They told him he's not going to be very welcome here. And it's like, well. You know, this place in Indianapolis might not be for a guy like you. You know, one of you Nolans types. I know you like to call it Nolans instead of New Orleans. So, you know, out of respect, we'll call it Nolans. And also out of respect, maybe you don't want to come here no more. That's absolutely how it plays. But this is going to be a big conversation. 
a big story about how this uh, nominee was treated and about how the board is being treated and whether or not this plays and does damage to Indianapolis as a woke place that will take a look at candidates they deem unacceptable based on skin color and then basically threaten out of taking jobs. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot to talk about here. I've got more coming up, including the future of the Colts and Purdue's new possible coach. This is Tony Katz today. So the Colts get to finish up the bye week, and now they got to get back to the fact that they're not a very good football team. Because they're not a very good football team. They're 4-8-1 and one for those of you playing the home game. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. The problem is, is that the Jaguars and the Titans are in striking distance. As dumb as it sounds, as I stare at this, we've got where we're, you know, we're 13 weeks in. We got four weeks left to go in the season. All things are possible, which is absolutely insane. JMV joins us now from 93.5-1075. The fan, before we get uh, to uh, the, the Colts, let's get to a couple of things. First of all, IU losing to Arizona there in in Las Vegas, this 89-75 uh, loss. It was a bad start. It was a build back. I don't think this is as bad as the Rutgers loss, but is there anything in this that shows you a problem that's unfixable or shows IU places where they got to step up the game? Well, I mean, Tony, it starts right here with the shooting. The, the shooting thing, you hope comes along. You hope they haven't, but in the past they haven't, and that was problematic on Saturday night in Las Vegas against Arizona. The outside shooting and you saw a backcourt and really a frontcourt that was just much, much better with Arizona than I use was on that night. I guess the only redeeming quality, I think, Tony, from that game was the fact that at least they did get down early, as you mentioned, got down big, about 15, 17, something like that, battled their way back. That part was good. But I think this whole shooting situation is going to be something that we have seen in the past and unfortunately going to be something that this team, if they're going to be good, they're going to have to sidestep the entirety of the year and see if they can find it, see if they can find some consistency because they're a good team, but the lack of shooting, as we saw on Saturday night, will sink them. You know, it's always expressions like that uh, when, when I, as I more and more follow the, the sports world, where I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever damn heard. It's basketball. Of course you're shooting. What do you mean a lack of shooting? Uh, outside shooting, three-point shooting, being a threat. They have guys, Tony, on their team that nobody guards on the perimeter. They all sag in on their, their best offensive option, and that's Trace Jackson Davis, and that makes for a bad – offensive flow for IU that's that's what happens they just rarely get out there and guard anybody with the exception of of Miller Cop on their perimeter and you know they were daring Xavier Johnson to shoot they dare Ray Thompson actually knocked out a couple they dare him to shoot and what happens defensively is you can sag in on the major component of this IU offense which is Trace Jackson Davis and that's a recipe for a loss right there Talking to JMV from 93.5-1075, the fan. That IU schedule gets, as we have discussed uh, in in the past, now starts to get really difficult. Uh, There's there's more that starts hitting before they really get into the conference play. Um, 
what what is success coming out of the month of December to really get them ready to start gearing up for the the, the push to March Madness? Well, I, I said all along that you know getting them geared up for the the teeth of the Big Ten season is is something I want them to to I wanted them to be able to at least split with this combination of Arizona and Kansas. Of course, they got to go to Lawrence, Kansas, and face Kansas, so that's going to be really difficult, and they're not off to a good start with the way that they played against Arizona. I would like them to be able to split, um, and I think they have some things to prove to themselves because you look at both of these losses, and you know the common theme was not being able to shoot from the outside. Now, I guess Rutgers, Tony, we talked about this last week. It was more about the offensive glass that was really hurting them. I mean, they weren't getting on the board whatsoever, but it has been the outside shooting that has been a huge issue. And I just – I wanted to see them at least split Kansas and Arizona. Clearly, they still have a, spot, a shot with Kansas, but it's going to be more difficult. But that's how you kind of want to motivate yourself to go into what is the tough Big Ten season. And I think as we've seen it across the board, it's probably going to be – as competitive as maybe people kind of downplayed thought it was going to be. I think it's going to be even more competitive this season with some of these teams I've seen so far, Tony. Now let's move it over to Purdue, where Jeff Brom is now the football coach over there at Louisville. Uh, This is home sweet home for him. Uh, You've got Purdue going into the Citrus Bowl. It'll be Brian Brom, the brother of Jeff Brom, the quarterback's coach, who will be the interim head coach for this game. No one's discussing him as the possible future head coach of Purdue University. Uh, How quickly are they going to make a decision, and where are we in that pool of candidates? I would like to think that we have a decision made, certainly by the middle or the end of of this week, the direction that they're going. And we talked about this last week as well when that decision was made that Jeff Brown was going to move back to Louisville. I, I still think because of what we know Purdue to be, they need a an offensive mind more than anything else. I'll give you a comparison really quickly. Jim Leonard is a guy that you brought up last week and a lot of people thought from right. Wisconsin, you know, as the interim head coach and the defensive coordinator, uh, he'd play a, pl- a prominent role in what they may go, but he's more of a defensive philosophy guy, which is fine, but I think Purdue needs more on, uh, of an offensive tilt um, and we mentioned Jamarcus Shepard, who is a former wide receiver at Purdue, who's uh, out in Washington as an offensive coordinator, kind of a pseudo-offensive coordinator under Kalen DeVore out there. And I brought up uh, Tyson Helton. Tyson Helton is the head coach in Western Kentucky. That's where they got Jeff Brom. They have a really strong offensive philosophy. I just think they need to go with an offensive guy first and foremost here. But I think probably midweek, hopefully at the end of, of this week, they're going to have a decision made about the direction in which they're moving forward with that fo- football program. But I'd be shocked if it wasn't somebody with an offensive lane, Tony. Uh, is is there any chance that Brian Brom stays and gets at least a look? Um, I think he's going to end up down with uh, Jeff Brom in Louisville after the Citrus Bowl. I think he's going to at least get talked to about it. I just don't think he's going to get the gig. He's going to end up down in in Louisville with a lot of those guys with his brother when it's said and done. Now let's move it over to the Colts because when it's all said and done, you've got the victory from the Jaguars. You've got the loss from the Titans. The Titans are seven and six. The Jaguars are five and eight. The Colts are four, eight, and one. And you realize there are four games left to the season, correct, JMV? I've got that right. Four games left to the season. Um, Yeah. The Colts 
are actually still in it to win the AFC South. And that's the single most surreal thing I could possibly say at four, eight, and one until you realize that in uh, the NFC, I think it's the, the Bucks are six and seven and they lead the NFC South. So everything is on the table. Tony, it's wacky because Carolina, Carolina takes care of their business with Sam Darnold as the quarterback, with Steve Wilkes as the interim head coach. They take care of their business there in the driver's seat in that division in the NFC South, which is crazy. Uh, the Colts thing, this is what should drive every Colts fan crazy, is Tennessee is playing to the level in which would invite any normal, decent team back in to the mix here. And while mathematically speaking, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. But I think we've all seen enough about this team to know that they're not going to be worthy of this. And I tell you, there is one positive about it is you watch with Jacksonville's win over Tennessee yesterday. So now the Colts are up to, in the spring draft, the seventh slot. So that part is good. But what has to be that dangling carrot of what should have been, what should have been according to the owner, according to the front office, according to the head coach, I think is even more embarrassing for the Colts with the way that Tennessee is playing right now. The Colts should be right there playing these final games in the mix for something. But I think we all sit here and understand they're truly not, Tony. But I'm going to take a step back just so I, I yep. understood it right. The Colts yeah. could absolutely win out, and if everybody else loses out, uh, they could uh, they could be the people who win the AFC South. Your argument is, sure, they could, but they won't because they're just not a good team. Taking on the Vikings yeah. uh, uh, this this coming uh, weekend, right now, four-and-a-half-point underdog uh, to, yeah. to the Vikings. But the Vikings did not they, – they couldn't beat Detroit, man. They couldn't beat the Lions. No, well, no. Listen, the Vikings are are struggling. The Giants are struggling. You saw the Chargers with a big win last night on Sunday Night Football, and obviously Houston stinks out loud. But I don't think anybody's going to trust this Colts team to be able to do anything. And that's what I'm saying. They should be in such a much better place than they are right now. That's the embarrassing part of it. The embarrassing part of it is that the Titans can have their OC get brought up on drunk driving charges. They can have their general manager get fired in the month of December. They can have their team circle in the drain, yet it's still not going to be good enough for the Colts to get the job done. That is embarrassing for this team, for this organization across the board. I can't get away from how embarrassing that is. Mathematically speaking, you're right. But as far as this team, what they're going to be able to do, just can't buy it. I don't know if anybody else is going to buy it, but this, I think, makes it even more, Tony, embarrassing of a season for the Colts. Who is the future head coach of of this team? Uh, you were asking the question whether yeah. or not the Colts should be really targeting uh, Jim Harbaugh as their next uh, head coach. And uh, the response is, uh, I know there's a history but do you really want Harbaugh? Is, is is he ready to come back to dealing with NFL players as opposed to the insanity he's allowed to get away with where he's at? I would take Harbaugh in a second. I think this group needs a Harbaugh. Here's what you need. You need a coach to come in there and the owner sidestep out of it for a while. That's what you need. I mean, you need them to hire a coach and then let the coach 
do the coaching. And we'll see. I mean, there's a dynamic at her work here, Tony. I mean, you got the whole possibility of Saturday, of Harbaugh, all these names that we have mentioned. But then you have Chris Ballard sitting right there. So would Jim Harbaugh want to work with Chris Ballard? Would Chris Ballard want to work with Jim Harbaugh? I mean, this whole dynamic at work is incredibly weird right now, but I would take Jim Harbaugh and his coaching philosophy. And remember, he got San Francisco all the way to the Super Bowl, and then he got crossways with Trent Baalke, who was running the team as the general manager in San Francisco. And then that whole thing kind of – I think it was Baalke at the time. But anyway, that whole thing kind of spiraled out of control, came apart, and then he bailed out of there. But obviously got the, the gig at Michigan. But I think he, deep down inside, would still love to prove himself on the NFL level. I'm not suggesting there's any possibility at all because I think he's going to stay in Michigan. But I would absolutely love that if he did choose to come back to the NFL and would choose to come back with the Colts. I think that is something that they need, but it's just something to me that's not going to be feasible. But we can be clear, Chris, Chris Ballard's not going to be back with this team next year. Give me the percentage oh. possible. Oh, wait a second. What are you yeah. talking crazy? All right, listen, you and I are on the same page with this. There's no way in the world, Tony, he should be allowed to make decisions for this team for a seventh year. We have seen enough through six, but Tony, I would say 75, 80%, if not more, that Jim Irsay brings him back. And then you're going to have all these non-believers out there, all these Colts fans go, you got to be kidding me. Have we not seen enough on this now? He's going to also take a chance. He's going to be the guy making the call on the uh, long-term future quarterback as well coming up in the draft. No, seriously, I would say 75 or 80% chance that he is going to be back, and to me, that's silly. Well, it's going to make it very difficult to hire a coach who's going to want to be with somebody who's got maybe a better eye or even just feel like you have a better eye isn't connected to the stink uh, out there. That's good. So Ursay knows it's going to make it harder to hire somebody, doesn't he? You would think. I mean, you would think. It doesn't doesn't fit. I mean, these aren't Legos, Tony, that fit together whatsoever. So I I completely agree with you. I think – because people say, well, you don't want to blow one up. Tony, they have. All right. They fired their OC midseason. They fired their head coach midseason. They hired a guy off TV midseason. And he took over midweek in the middle of the season. Essentially, this thing has been, oh, they benched their quarterback and then brought their bench quarterback back. They have blown up the season. They've blown it up. So why not the general manager? Tony, you and I both know this. We've seen enough with those decision makings of Chris Ballard. It's time to move on. We will uh, we will watch and we will see JMV 93.5-1075 the fan. Always appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. In order to ensure the future uh, of Indiana, we need to make sure that we're hitting on a couple of different cylinders. When it comes to business, and I didn't mean to use cylinders as a precursor to having a conversation about automotive, but it's just the way it worked out, so I'll take the pun and I'll run, people. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com, TonyKatz.Locals.com. A lot of investment going on, a lot of opportunities missed, and I got together with Gary Dick of InsideIndianaBusiness.com. On Twitter, at IIB, at Gary Dick, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick, on the Twitter box, because 
this automotive conversation is just a gigantic one and really one that's very meaningful about Hoosier's uh, future and the problems that we're encountering. We start with Andretti Global. They just broke ground on their new headquarters in Fishers. Yeah, big uh, project for Fishers, uh, Tony. Andretti uh, Global, the uh, the parent of Andretti uh, Autosport, uh, Auto $200 million investment in Fishers in what could ultimately mean about 500 jobs there. So a, a new corporate headquarters, global headquarters for the company there. But as you kind of uh, tease there a little bit, um, just one of several big announcements that have happened in recent months. Graham Rahal announced a $20 million uh, headquarters move from Brownsburg to Zionsville. It's right next to Rahal. Letterman Lanigan's uh, new headquarters uh, uh, there in uh, in that community. McLaren building a new uh, race and R&D facility in Whitestown. You go to Brownsburg, and a lot of that is focused uh, on uh, on drag racing, but uh, a new uh, motorsports park uh, there, and that's you. Know, you sometimes you lose track of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and all the things going on out there. But Roger Penske and his group have invested at least twenty million dollars since buying the track um, uh, three years ago, and more expected on the way there. So a lot of investment, uh, certainly here in Central Indiana. So this is, as you just described, these things about racing and the racing yeah. world, and and there's an extent to which it makes sense, and also these things are, are really important. They're valuable because they also have spinoffs for other technology opportunities. But let's go over a couple of the things that we missed on. You have Honda building their $4.4 billion EV battery plant in Ohio, doing that in conjunction with LG. They did not choose to come to Indiana. You have Hyundai deciding that Georgia was a better place than Indiana to build an EV battery plant. That's going to employ 3,500 people. Indiana has missed out on a couple of these big things, and I don't even know whether or not Indiana was in the running for these things. Are we discussing this as we're discussing uh, these these good investments from the racing world? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and, and you know, you, you mentioned uh, motorsports, and, and those are technical uh, STEM jobs, uh, typically paying a little bit better or sometimes a lot better than the average wage. But the EV battery uh, investments you talked about uh, are you need to have on the table. I, I do know for a fact that Indianapolis was competitor. In fact, some have suggested it was down to Ohio and Indiana for the uh, for the Honda investment because the the plant here in uh, in Greensburg. Uh, there's also the GM joint venture, big battery plant, $2 billion investment expected to go into uh, New Carlisle and St. Joseph County. So uh, the winners and losers, there are going to be more of these big investments. And you look at not just EV batteries, but that whole supply chain, if you will, for the electrification of the auto industry. Stellantis, joint venture in Kokomo, things like a billion and a half dollars and 1,400 jobs going there. So Indiana has won and lost out on these. There are going to be more in the future. But key, Tony, as you and I have talked about a lot, uh, is workforce and being able to convince the automakers that, hey, Indiana can provide that uh, that talented pipeline of workers needed uh, for these plants. Talking to Gary Dick inside indianabusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Let, let's dig in a little bit more uh, in into this idea and about the workforce. If we go to insideindianabusiness.com, we will see how um, 
You've got Manchester University, which is up north, investing $20 million into a Fort Wayne facility. You have Indiana State University, which gets short shrift here in Indiana, getting an $8 million gift from uh, some of of their uh, supporters. The objective here is the. I know the objective here is, of course, to grow your university and grow opportunities to be attractive. But are these places attractive to Indiana residents? What are these universities doing specifically to attract more Hoosiers to stay here and and say, "Sorry, IU. Sorry, Purdue. There's a better option and opportunity for me that satisfies all the requirements for a good time and and a good education." Yeah, those are great points, Tony. And I think the Indiana State announcement as well as the Manchester announcement from Fort Wayne are two good examples of what universities are doing. The $8 million gift at at ISU will create uh, the Bailey College of Engineering and Technology, getting a new name on that that engineering and technology uh, building there. A big focus of that will be producing more STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math students uh, who go to Indiana State to make it more attractive for those technical kinds of jobs. You go to the Manchester uh, announcement up in Fort Wayne, $20 million uh, just announced this morning uh, for a new uh, health sciences uh, uh, curriculum and building in that uh, in that city. Again, focused on aligning with the needs of the community. It's a healthcare uh, hub uh, for that part of the state and uh, in Northwest Ohio as well. So it's about producing the graduates that that uh, that that businesses need that's healthcare in that part of the state, and then you can, you can go on to Ivy Tech and Vincennes and the two year institutions and their importance in this whole the whole mix. You know, you mentioned Tony the electric vehicle, uh, uh, you know, batteries and components and things like that. Ivy Tech's uh, involvement in Kokomo really was one of the things that helped tip the uh, scales toward uh, Kokomo and Indiana for that big big investment from Stellantis. So you're going to see all of the universities, four-year institutions, as well as the two-year colleges and universities here in the state playing a role uh, in that workforce. Let me um, move the conversation a little bit into areas we don't usually talk about on the show, but you've got it on the site uh, there, InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I, uh, discussing this earlier, the story of what has taken place with the Indianapolis Public Library and how there was a CEO candidate out of New Orleans who was offered the job over the interim CEO here in in Indianapolis. The community, and I'm saying that with air quotes, in uproar that the interim CEO was not offered the full-time CEO job, uh, really getting aggressive, so much so uh, that Dr. Gabriel Morley, who was offered the job to be the CEO of the Indianapolis Public Library, has turned it down. One would question whether or not it was just uproar, whether it was a violent uproar. I don't know how one describes I know how I might describe it. I don't want to put words into your mouth. What exactly is this saying to, to you, to the business community, uh, and exactly what does this create in terms of a look for Indianapolis? Is there a problem that comes from this, or is this just, this will be uh, uh, swept under the rug, it won't even mean anything in a week? Yeah, I don't, I don't you know, frankly, this is just personal opinion, and certainly this was uh, an issue with uh, with the library, and there was some uh, employees and others uh, had their their thoughts on who the CEO should be. Uh, voiced those uh, opinions, and uh, the uh, the person who was offered that job from New Orleans did, 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 decided to de- decline to back out. 
I don't think it's going to have any impact, Tony, business-wise or otherwise uh, uh, going forward. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of an internal public library situation, and, and uh, we'll go from there. So we'll see We'll see what their next step is. So next step uh, on the library to see uh, who the next CEO is going to be. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I'm curious when these things happen, it, is it saying something uh, about um, – Indianapolis is it saying something to uh, the community uh, writ large that that uh, wh- whether it's it's our actual indie uh, community or whether it's to a business community whether it's to the future of of, of convention business uh, that maybe this is a city focused on the wrong things or focused on uh, too many things that are uh, trying to virtue signal as opposed to uh, get into the to the nitty gritty and actually be supportive. So I, I asked the question solely for the. For that reason, Gary, that these things can uh, multiply on themselves. They can have residual. But your argument is probably not in this case. Don't don't see it. No, I, I don't see it in this in this case, um, you know, at, at, at all from a business standpoint. Certainly, it's a it's a big issue in in with respect to the library and the community. But beyond that, I don't think it, it's going to have much impact. Now, this is where Gary Dick and I disagree, and I thank Gary, uh, InsideIndianaBusiness.com. And and I disagree in that if we are seeing these advancements in wokeness and we're seeing the the radicalness in the, in the position, the position of, well, you have to hire people who are uh, this race or, 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 or this uh, denomination – or this identity. Otherwise, we're going to scream and yell and we're going to forcibly prevent people from taking jobs by instilling fear into them, which is, well, clearly the argument that's that's made here, right? That's the argument that is made regarding this 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 library leader that didn't take the job out of, out of New Orleans. That the, the, the objective was to scare him into not taking the gig. So I take it. That's how I take it. And I wonder that's how others take it. Because my fear is that what you create is now this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, look what we got done here. We can do this with this CEO. We can do this with this leader. Do this with this group. And you don't discourage. You encourage the behavior of bigotry. Because as I've discussed, it's bigotry. You can't hire the white man. All, all right, bigots. All right, I mean, that that's what it is. Now, you can argue you should have hired the black woman, which is what these people are arguing, this interim CEO, but they went through an entire selection process and they chose somebody else. And so what they, of course, have said is that the the, the leadership of the library, the, this board of trustees, are bigots. That's what the people have now said. I don't know how you unring that bell. I don't know how that doesn't do damage. I just don't know how that doesn't do damage. We're going to be reporting more on this. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. This to me had to be repeated. This clip of Joe Scarborough on MSNBC and Mika Brzezinski. And who are they talking to? I forget the dude they're talking to. It's. The hatred for Elon Musk is so great, 
and so incredible. And the way people are characterizing him, look, if you ask me if he's a conservative, the answer is no. If you ask me if he should be treated like a god, the answer is no. But clearly this expose of things that have happened on Twitter before his purchase, how much people were working to silence those they disagree with. I mean, that's a story. Not as big of a story as all the people who are totally okay with it. Yeah, yeah, conservatives were silenced. Isn't that cool? What's the big deal? It was their company. They could do what they want. They There is no admitting that there was wrongdoing because they don't actually think it was wrong. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Which is why I've been saying the story here throughout everything regarding Twitter is that you knew the truth, you wouldn't be pushed away from it, and now you've been shown to be right. And when that's the case, keep at it. And look how hard they're going at Elon Musk. Look how hard they're going to prevent, well, anybody from listening to him, to to try and disparage him. Listen to this today from Joe Scarborough there at MSNBC. You know, like his, his thing on Anthony Fauci, I, again, dangerous. I, again, I just, it it's is. stupid. It's dangerous if you have a lot of money in Tesla. It's stupid otherwise. Yeah. All of this sort of Twitter infighting. Again, Andrew, okay, you brought him up. So I'll just say, I like, I can get off Twitter. I don't really care. Right. But I'm wondering what a guy spending $44 billion on that. He's got this brilliant mind for, for inventing things, for, for, for creating things. I just, every day, I wonder, why is he acting like a backbench Republican in the House of Representatives instead of, like, the richest guy in the world, a guy who could actually take the country in positive places? I don't get it. What don't, what don't you get? How is he acting like a backbench Republican, which is what you were when you were in the House of Representatives? He saw, he sees, he has issue with how Twitter was run before and the lies that were told to all of us. He sees the silencing of Americans, of people writ large, and he's like, yeah, this is wrong, and he's exposing it. And you think that's acting like a Republican backbencher? My God, you suck. And you don't have to. You don't have to. You know how many people argue that Morning Joe is the elite morning show in America? Well, the answer is less and less because, Joe, you're doing things like this. This is not a rational, reasonable, logical response to what Elon Musk is doing. I think the bigger question is it took $44 billion to get to the truth Exactly what will it cost to figure out what's going on at Facebook? Where you know these same things are happening and the only thing that's preventing them from having to be exposed is that it would take a lot more than $44 billion to purchase Facebook. Now, I, I have made this argument, and you, you've seen my videos over there at Rumble, rumble.com slash tinycats, uh, about this. If the only way to get to truth is to spend $44 billion, we have a real problem. But I go back to what I said earlier. We saw that things weren't right and we kept talking about it, talking about it on radio, talking about it in social media to the best of our ability, talking about it with our friends. Nonstop, we kept at it. And it really did get other people to start noticing the problem.
So part of that solution of how do you fix these kind of uh, relationships that parties, political parties have with big tech, government has with big tech, the suppression uh, of speech from big tech is to stay on it. But there's another part of it. The people out there who want to say, well, it was no big deal. Oh, what do you care? Oh, it did, didn't affect you. Hey, they're allowed to do it. My gosh. That's something else to start talking about. Look at all these people who don't really give a damn about the American way of life. Well, these private companies can't. They don't care about the American way of life. That's the story. Free speech is meaningless to them, and they're proud of it. If they can keep you from engaging, they're cool with it. My gosh. We got a lot of work to do in civics, people. But these, this constant attack on Elon Musk, this is gaslighting. And it didn't work to keep us quiet on what Twitter was doing. Can't let it work now. To keep us from seeing what it is that Elon Musk and others have been exposing. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.